Good morning, everyone. Open your songbooks to 384. I just keep trusting my Lord, okay? Number 384, I just keep trusting my Lord. Welcome, everybody, to Sunday School. I just keep trusting my Lord, number 384. going to finish this today <laughs> whether we whether we read every bullet or not that's another issue but we will be done I, I looked at my uh, my folder in in the on the computer for all these lessons and I looked for the date that I saved the first lesson now I've, I've thrown out a couple times maybe a year and a half those of you who have not been keeping notes and have it right at your hands how long do you think we've been doing this oh well I'll tell you it was, it was August 1st of 2021 that we did the first lesson. So it's been more than two years. Obviously, we probably teaching exactly. There's probably been four Sundays that either I wasn't here or we did a, a special speaker or something. But virtually two years. So I am very glad we've done this. But I'm also, I think, when I saw that, it's like, okay, it is time to end it. So, so let's, let me quickly go through. Uh, we didn't actually get too far last week. You all helped me stretch this out tremendously. Um, so, looking at your outline there, uh, uh, the question is, Christianity is just like all other religions, right? And the answer is no. Um, again, the author said that it's, it's been said that all religions are the same with only apparent differences, and I don't know where he got that from. That's, that's how he started this. But in truth, number one, there, uh, letter, Roman number one, in truth, Christianity is profoundly different from every religion with only superficial similarities. Letter A, every other religion, including atheism, which is religion by definition, basically says you can save yourself. Um, and number one, under that, the way you do save yourself is to do enough good deeds, or as, as many people think, and honestly, even before I was a believer, Though I didn't believe in God, I thought if there was a God, I think my good outweighs my bad and I'd probably get to heaven. Anyways, so the idea is that's what they think. Do enough good deeds to please a God, God's force, or yourself, and you can get to heaven. Or some otherwise named blessed afterlife, okay? Letter B under that. The Bible emphatically teaches the opposite of what we just read above teaches the opposite. No one can earn salvation because God's standard is perfection. We looked at Matthew 5, 48 there. 
Now, I think that's about it. Um, no, we, okay, we did number one under that. Uh, the idea to earn salvation, one would have to live a life of perfect obedience, perfect obedience to all of God's laws, and the Bible is clear that no one can do that. Um, okay, so uh, we did look at James uh, Uh, 2.10, it says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend or stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Uh, So you have to keep the whole law. You might be good. As Actually, verse 11 goes on to say, uh, it says, Do not commit adultery. He who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So, You might not sin in this way, but you will have sinned in some way, and just one sin makes you guilty of the law. And then Romans 3.23, and I got to, just going back, verse 20 said, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. We know from reading Scripture and the commands that we don't follow it. We can't keep it. So we realize we have sinned. And verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's where we stopped last week. So then letter A. Um, since God sees our motives and thoughts, these also must always be perfectly pure, but are not. Uh, Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. Okay, Matthew chapter 5, and I was going to read more of this, but for sake of time, we'll kind of keep it under control here. Uh, So Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, it says, You have heard, this is Jesus speaking again, the Sermon on the Mount, You have heard that it has been said uh, to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And then skip down to verse 27, if you would. And it says, uh, you have heard that it's been said uh, to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So those are just a couple examples, and really the whole passage addresses this, but that makes it clear that it's not just the action, but it's the thought or the intent of the, the heart, of the mind. You don't actually have to perform a physical action to sin. You can just think it wrong or have the wrong attitude. And so again, our motives and thoughts, they need to be perfect as well. If they're not, we have sinned. And so again, to trying to earn salvation by doing good. It just doesn't work. You can, the good cannot outweigh the bad, because if you have one bad, that outweighs all the good you can possibly do. Just to back, uh, yeah, I shouldn't do this. Uh, you, many of you have probably seen the bridge illustration. I think we have tracks to talk about the bridge of life or whatever, and the idea is that sin is a barrier, okay? It's an impenetrable, impenetrable barrier between us and God. So no matter, you know, I remember sharing that with people, you can do all the good works you can trying to get over to God. I guess man would be over here as you're looking at me to get over to God, but sin gets in the way. 
just that one sin. So the good works can't, can't do it. And we're, we'll touch on that yet again. N- number two, in- interesting point that the author made. He said, we cannot comprehend the gravity, the gravity of our sin, because we cannot fathom the holiness, justice, and infinite nature of the God we have sinned against. And he said, this is kind of to semi-quote him, he said, Look at, think of it this way. If you lie to a child, there are limited consequences. It, it's not right to do, but, but if you sin, uh, lie to a child, there are limited consequences. If you lie to a spouse, the consequences increase. If you lie to the government, jail awaits. Okay, so he said, the same sin, but different consequences because of whom the sin is against. In fact, then, every sin is an act of treason against the sovereign king of the universe, whom we are attempting to replace with ourselves. So, we can't fathom that. But the point is, he is an authority, he is the sovereign of the universe. We sin against him has huge consequences. Every act uh, of uh, every sin is an act of treason against the sovereign of the universe. I said sovereign king, but that's kind of redundant actually. Is against the sovereign of the universe and we are trying we are attempting to replace him with ourselves. So, because of these considerations like Adam and Eve, just one sin justifies our separation from a perfect God who won't tolerate any sin in his holy presence. That was one of the answers to the quiz at the fair yesterday or over the weekend, is that he cannot allow sinners into heaven. Okay, number three, even our good works are saturated with our sin, those are the two blanks there, with our sin, and our filthy rags before a holy God. Turn, if you would, this is a a passage many of you might be familiar with and have maybe used a number of times in sharing the gospel. Isaiah chapter 64. Um, I'm going to start in verse uh, 4. Isaiah 64, verse 4 says, For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you, who acts for the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices and does not and does righteousness, who remembers you and your ways. You, you are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue and need to be saved. Verse 6, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So we are like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. Because again, they're tainted with our sin, and sin's that barrier that keeps us from God. So, consequently, mankind is hopeless on his own and requires the intervention of a Savior. Okay, another, however, we're going to touch on one more point of on number, Roman numeral number two about other religions. All other religions involve man grasping, is the word there, or whatever synonym you want to use, man grasping for truth and salvation. 
Um, the author pointed out the Hindu sacred texts say truth is mysterious. It's mysterious. Um, Buddha, uh, he searched for truth. Okay, so that's the blank there. Buddha searched for truth. And Muhammad said he pointed to the truth. All right, so that, that's other religions. One way or another, they're grasping for truth and salvation. They're trying to find it. They're pointing towards it. They're searching for it, but they don't have it. Roman numeral number three, on the other hand, Christianity is God reaching down to man to save him. It's not us trying to reach up, and I know Pastor Matt has shared that with many people, and I've heard him. It's very effective. It's all other religions are man trying to reach up to God somehow, grasping for truth, but Christianity is God reaching down to save man. So letter A under that, as opposed to number two, A above, that says that, you know, these other religions are searching for truth or say it's mysterious or pointing to it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Then he goes on and says, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's John 14, 6. So he's not searching for it. He's not pointing to it. He is the truth. Okay? He is the way. Um, and also in that passage, you know, I just, uh, we're not going to turn there right now because for sake of time, but, you know, he starts off that, that when he's speaking in verse 1 of, of John 14, saying, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare it, I will come again and receive you to myself. What a blessed thought that is. What a blessed hope that is for all of us. Okay, letter B. Jesus, getting into the gospel here, Jesus is God who became flesh, who came down from heaven as our blood relative, as our blood relative, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Turn, if you would, to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. Hmm. Okay, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not com comprehend it. Then verse 9, skip to verse 9. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Right, Shane? <laughs> Verse 14, 
And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's where we see He became flesh. God the Word, in verse 1, He became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I have to share this. I wasn't planning to, but yesterday afternoon, Valerie was there, too, at at the fair, there is a man had the largest beard I think I've ever seen. He had quite the beard. Well, I don't know, it's quite the beard. Anyway, he came up to the to the the three question thing, and he, he before he opened the door, he said, "God, it says three three name three things God can't do," and he said, "God can't be a man." And he opened the door, and you know that verse talks about he can't lie, and it says, is he a man that he should lie? And it says, no, he can't be a man. (laughs) Well, the the point is, he's not like a man who would lie. But anyways, he was Jewish, and I don't know what brand of Jewishness he was, but very strong, and he insisted that God could not be a man. So that basically takes Jesus out of the picture, right? You can't have God being a man. And... uh, Sean tried to share some things with him, but he was the kind of guy, and in fact, at one point he said, let me finish. He just, you know, it's like, don't talk to me, let me finish. He had to get his point across, but he was very strong in what he believed, but it's a, it's a, not to say that it's easy for us to believe. God needs to give us this faith to believe, to understand that God could become flesh. Um, no, he did not read scripture. Well, I mean, I think he—I think he was familiar with the Old Testament, but yeah, yeah, he was—he was, you know, I didn't say anything. And afterwards, Sean said, "You didn't—you didn't say much." And I said, "Well, yeah, I, a person—a person like that, you learn they're not going to even if you do get a word out, they're not going to listen to it." But anyways, they stopped by, and that was nice. Okay. Um, Okay, and yeah, let's, I'm going to skip that. Let's go on to number, number one underneath that. Jesus, who is also known as the last Adam, lived a perfect life. He died on the cross to pay the perfect infinite price we couldn't pay, and he defeated death by rising from the grave. All right, yeah, let's go to Romans chapter 5. I would have to say, well, I don't know. I've spent a lot of time trying to re- memorize Romans, so that's part of why Romans is probably my favorite book in the Bible. But if you wanted to pick a favorite chapter out of Romans, that's really hard. But Romans 5 would have to come close for me, partly because of verse 8. Um, so let's look at that. Actually, yeah, let's start in verse 6. Romans 5, verse 6 says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God 
demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, it didn't matter. God knew there's this sin barrier between him and us, and the only way he could make it possible for us to navigate that sin barrier is through Christ. Christ, who was the perfect one. And let's, let's look at, okay, Romans 5, let's look forward to verse 18. Romans 5, 18. And again, this whole, the whole section there from 7 to 17, or from verse 12 to 17 hits this in detail again, and it kind of summarizes here in verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, and we're talking about Adam there, the first man, okay? Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, that would be Jesus we're talking about now, the, the, the last Adam, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, again, that's Adam's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, that's we're talking about Jesus here, he was the perfect one, he never sinned, he obeyed, many will be made righteous. So the one man sinned, so the offense came and judgment came, but the other man was righteous and obedient, and through him the free gift came. And we can become righteous only through Christ. And that whole bridge illustration is as sin is a barrier, S-I-N, but then Christ crosses with the eye of sin. Christ is the bridge that gets us from us, from man, sinful man, to a holy, perfect God. I, ho- I hope you're overwhelmed by that what he did for us, how he made it possible for us to spend eternity in heaven with him because of the, of the righteousness of the Son of God who died for us. Amazing. However, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. It is. <laughs> it's, a, it's amazing. I don't know. It's like, how? Yes, but it's still true. It's, it is, absolutely. Um, turn to Acts chapter 2. I think I have that in your notes here, too. Acts chapter 2, yeah. Okay, Acts chapter 2. And verse, let's start at verse 22. Um, yeah, 22. Uh, this is Paul. Um, is it Paul or Peter? Who's preaching here? Is it Peter? Yeah, okay. Okay, so it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Yeah, it wouldn't be Paul yet. I'm sorry. Okay. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. So that's who we're talking about. A man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. But that didn't keep him down, right? Verse 24, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. 
just another little sidebar from the fair yesterday. I, I heard this, this was, actually, Daryl, I think you told me, maybe it was Saturday that it happened. No, Friday, that a like, 12-year-old girl, she gave an answer to that question when he was saying, God can't die. And I was like, that's a, that's a good answer. But we got to be careful. You kind of qualify that because in the triune God, this, you know, God, God the Son did die. He really did die. But the Father didn't die and the Spirit didn't die. So ultimately, the whole, as a God, the Godhead, which I'm not sure this girl had in mind, but anyways, it's like that was an interesting answer. God can't die. But we know that the gospel and Jesus, the Son of God, did die. But he couldn't be held by it. It was not possible that he should be held by it because he still was God. So he took his life back. Yes, it would. Yes, he did. Yep. He, he, his death was unique. That's an interesting point. His death, the, the, Jesus' death was unique in that he didn't die because of his sin. All the rest of us, all humanity are sentenced to die because of our sin. But he died taking the punishment for our sins, which wasn't his. And then, then of course, he rose from the grave, too. And uh, I guess we could say that Jesus didn't spiritually die. He just physically died. But anyway, interesting. It's good for us to think those things through a little bit sometimes. It's a proof that he was God. Only God. Right. But whether it was a precursor, I guess you could say it was. But even, even those... Yeah. Right. They didn't at first. Until he came back again and showed that he was there. He was alive. That happened before. Yeah. But even that resurrected person eventually died. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. But interesting. That is important to realize that he did physically. And he still to this day, I believe, or will return with a physical, a real physical body. And we, we will be like him. Somehow, our glorified physical bodies will be... Yeah, another mystery. Yeah. So again, no other, speaking of differences with religions, no other religion has an empty tomb. Every, all other major religious leaders are dead. Only Jesus rose from the grave. The ultimate confirmation of who he is as God and what he taught. Okay. Um, and finally, letter C. Uh, Christianity is exclusive all who will repent, and the idea is, is to turn away from your sin, their sin and put their faith solely in Christ will be saved. That's S-O-L-E-L-Y, not S-O-U-L-Y. Um, S-O-L-E-L-Y, solely, only in Christ will be saved. So let's turn to, okay, we in Acts, that's convenient. Let's turn a couple pages to Acts chapter 4. Again, Christianity is exclusive. That's part of what people don't like about it. Okay? Even though it is the most wonderful possible news, truly is, the gospel of all gospels, the good news of all good news, that we don't have a chance to get to heaven except through Christ, but if we trust Christ, 
heavens are free. Can't, can get better than that. Still, they don't like the fact that that's the only way because if they don't want to believe Christ or be accountable to God in that way, then they don't like that solution. Um, okay, let's go back to verse uh, Acts 4, uh, verse 8, starting at verse 8 to get the context. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers uh, of the people and of Israel, elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for the good deed done to this helpless man who they had healed, speaking by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other. This is Jesus Christ of Nazareth he's talking about. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And just thinking about that, again, the wonderful news that that is, and yet the sadness when I think of that man, that bearded man yesterday, who insisted that God could not be a man, so this whole Jesus thing, he said that Paul created the Christian religion for other purposes, whatever. It's like, well, it had to be. I didn't think about it at the time, and it wouldn't have mattered, but a whole lot more people than just Paul. How about Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, James, Peter? You know, there's more than just Paul involved in all this. Although Paul wrote a lot of stuff, but he didn't create it by any stretch. But again, how sad that is. If you, if you just take Christ out of the picture, then there's, there's no salvation left. Yeah, it does. And praise God, we know that. But, um, you know, and honestly, only God knows for sure, but Valerie was there too, and Sean can give testimony. It wouldn't, I don't think it would have mattered what we said. I don't think he would have listened, but only God knows. Um, at least he stopped by. It was nice enough that he, that he stopped by and communicated with us some. Okay, let's turn to uh, John chapter 6. Yeah, this is kind of, I'm not, I'm trying to figure out why, why I included this, <laughs> but it'll be good to read anyway. John chapter 6. Okay, I'm going to, I think I have yeah, in your notes just verse 29, but let's, let's go back to um, 24. Um, yeah, well, uh, John 6, starting in 24. It says, when the people, um, therefore, saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also uh, got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered and said, Most surely I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father was set, has set his seal on them. Then they said to him, <clears throat> What shall we do? that we may work the works of God. 
And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. That's the work. And that's the only work that we can do if you want to call it a work, I mean, that's, you know, that you believe in him whom he sent. We believe that, we, that he did what he said he did, what the Bible records. We receive the record of God that he gave of his son. Um, so that, that's... Um, <laughs> any, okay, I'm going to just stop there. Any, any other passages you can think of or comments or questions? I did mention to you last week that if you had anything you remembered from this whole two years of study that stuck with you, that has uh, affected you in any way, be happy to share that. Um, so I'm open to that. Or again, if you have uh, any scriptures, I do have one last blurb if, if there's nothing more to be said. Good. Yeah, it's true. And the Bible does speak to just about anything. Um, and just as you said that, honestly, I didn't pre I didn't pre think this, but it just it's it uh, just impressed on me how important it is as we read it. Hopefully, we're all faithful in reading Scripture and studying Scripture, but to to pay attention, to ask God that we'd be sensitive to pick up on his truth, to be able to apply it practically as we've tried to do in this course because it's his teachings there all over the place and God would give us wisdom to apply it. As we read through some chapter in Leviticus that doesn't seem to have much applicability, maybe it does somehow. Um, so it's, uh, we have a priceless, priceless tool in the word of God which is different for everybody who wants to believe it, right, right. It's no wonder there's so much confusion. Right, absolutely. We know who the author is. Yeah, that's right. Satan's the one who deceives and is the, is the master, is the father of lies. And just, uh, okay, anybody else? I did have a think, thought, again, with what you just said there. It, I kind of thought about this a little bit ahead. You know, when it, speak the truth in love, right? That's the one. And I thought, have you ever, when, when we were, and we're going to have to close up here soon, but when we, um, when I was first saved, the church we were going to, there was a study called the Joy of Discovery. And basically it taught how to study the Bible. And one of the things in there, I'm pretty sure that's where I learned it from, is when you have a passage to emphasize different words, read it with emphasis on that word and then on this word. And I'm just thinking of that, speak the truth in love. We should speak it. We shouldn't necessarily be silent all the time. Speak the truth in love. Don't compromise. Don't just be so loving that you get wishy-washy and don't share the truth, but speak, speak the truth. And then speak the truth in love. Speak the truth, but do it in love. It, but so we, it's not much good if we don't speak it, yeah, but we want to speak the truth. Otherwise, with the love, it's not, we're, gonna, not, we're not really going to be loving not sharing the truth, but we need to do it in love. So uh, hopefully we learned all that, too. And uh, that the Lord would give us opportunities to, to do that when we meet with unbelievers. Let's close in prayer and thank the Lord for this. Lord, we do thank you for this study you've led us through. And uh, I truly pray that you'd help us uh, bring things to mind as we come into con conversation with people that, that would...
from this study that would help us remember how to apply your word, how to speak it, uh, how to speak it, the truth, and how to do it in love. Uh, we do pray, Lord, that you'd be with the service to come. We pray that in all the activities yet to come today with the, the lunch and the meeting and, and uh, the um, closing up of the fair ministry and, and also the Mountain View Manor, we pray that you'd uh, just help us, Father, to honor you in all that we do. Uh, we can only do that by your spirit, by your grace. We ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.